prepare to get off autopilot, identify the negative self-talk in your head and identify your villains as we tackle imposter syndrome with Tiffany De Silva. Welcome to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Tiffany is the founder of Flojo.co, an e-commerce site dedicated to helping everyday people live their best life. She has spent the past 15 years in all facets of digital marketing, working for startups like GeoSign, Achievers and Shopify, as well as a growth marketing consultant for over 80 companies from startup to enterprise. She's an instructor for McMaster University and has been featured in Mashable, Search Engine Journal, SE Roundtable, HubSpot and more. In this talk from Boss USA Online 2020, Tiffany shares her own experiences of imposter syndrome along with the framework and tools she uses every day to eliminate it. In a world full of negativity, it's important to know who your villains are and how to shut off the self-doubt in order to get things done. Happy listening. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about the six lessons from a marketing fraud, how to stop imposter syndrome. And... uh, just a little bit about me. I have been consulting for a few years. I was in uh, tech for about uh, 15 years and uh, I teach. I'm the founder of Flojo. I just do try to do it all. Uh, the star of the show though is going to be Ziggy who is always going to be on my lap. He has a thing about Zoom where he feels very defensive when he sees a lot of faces staring back at me and I'm talking. So You might see the ears pop up every once in a while. I just wanted to warn you. It's not like a mouse. It's not a rat. It's just (laughs) a little chihuahua that just loves this little space right here. So (laughs) I just wanted to forewarn. Um, So my kind of career, you might say, started when I was nine years old. And I feel like this is a crowd that is going to appreciate uh, that that moment that you kind of realize that this might be your thing. Uh, For me, it was nine years old when my dad brought home the IBM PS1 and the modem, the 2400 Bob modem. I know I see some already, some faces like, oh yeah. Uh, I knew this was something that I was in love with, obsessed with. This was back in um, the bulletin board, BBS systems, all that stuff. And I just, I loved my life. Um, And then the internet came around and, my family, we didn't have a lot of money. The internet, I kept using the AOL free trials all as much as I could and the prodigies and all that stuff, just trying to figure out how to get the internet. Fake names, fake Visa cards. It's just, it was a, I was a weird child um, until I decided I was going to create a lemonade stand of sorts so I can try to keep this internet. And like any, you know, preteen would do, I created an affiliate site selling shaving products through CVS as you do. Um, And the reason why I tell you this (laughs) isn't to create a monster syndrome by any means with anyone. It's so that you can understand why the story that I'm about to tell you is so devastating. Uh, This is something that I have loved to do since I was a kid. SEO was something that I kind of figured out very early on. um, And I didn't even realize that it could be a job. So I was ecstatic uh, when the time came when someone said, oh, this thing that you've been doing since you were a kid, this search engine thing that you seem to be really good at, like you can do that as a career. So I was just gung-ho. And my first kind of jobs uh, that I started getting into, I mean, 
I don't know how about you, but you know, when you're first getting into marketing, everything's new and you're kind of, you know, racing through all the things I started in as a link ninja, as you do, uh, in the SEO world, it was awful name, did not give anyone that business card, uh, started as a link developer, kind of moved into SEO, then moved into kind of a boiler room of sorts with PPC doing arbitrage across like 300 different sites, which was really fun. Um, got to do um, celebrity gossip writing for a while, SEO writing, did Facebook advertising the day it started and all this stuff. I was just loving all the knowledge I was getting. I couldn't get enough of it. Kind of moved to the big city, Toronto, and got my first tech job, you know, the, the job with the ping pong tables and the bean bags. And I was like, this is it. This is like I've hit glory. Um, and I got to move up again, like from SEO, SEM specialist up to online marketing manager. And again, it was like I would create my goals. I would hit them. I was feeling amazing. Everything was great. People were telling me I was smart for the first time. Like, hello, haven't heard that my, uh, my whole life. Um, but I had just gotten this thing and it was so exciting. And so you can imagine the excitement when I got tapped you would say by that unicorn company the company that everyone talked about joining i got you know brought in sat me down and said we want to work with you so of course me and my like felt my ego kind of rising a little bit i was like i'm a superhero of course i can do this it's amazing i'll absolutely i'll take it and got a nice big job people started noticing me i started getting asked to speak this was amazing except one thing I was not a culture fit for this job. I was not experienced for this job. And before I knew it, all of a sudden, it was like everything that I had been working towards just suddenly went to a halt. I started looking around. I didn't feel comfortable. I started like kind of doing what I always used to do, you know, ask questions, be curious. But I guess I was asking dumb questions. Um, and normally uh, I've always been, uh, you know, no questions or dumb questions, but I, I found I was in a place where, you know, maybe there was a couple dumb questions. And I started to feel as I was asking questions, people would look at me and be like, you don't know that? Like, are you really, you don't know that? And so that, that made me quieter and quieter. And suddenly I started finding that I couldn't really approach people. I didn't really feel comfortable. I wasn't making friends in this place. I was just so scared to do anything because if they found out that I wasn't comfortable. And when I look back on it now, I mean, there was, I have, as you do, I've gone through every scenario and I probably could have figured this out if I could just get out of my head for a bit. But at the time it just, it wasn't happening. Unfortunately for me, this was month one. And then all I was thinking, as you do when you join a company, is, okay, that's fine. I will just stay the year. And because I had started kind of one of those off months, if I put it in LinkedIn, it might actually look like I was there for two. So my whole career, it won't look so bad. You've done it. Don't, don't think you haven't, especially. And then you're also thinking when you're in startup, I'll just get the stock options. It's, it's how we just stay for the stock options. Fortunately, we're in month one. So month two comes along, month three, I'm kind of starting to get, you know, a little bit anxious. Month four comes along, month five, I'm starting to kind of, you know, not totally uh, get away from people. I didn't want anyone knowing that I had no idea what I was doing. Everything I was doing seemed to be failing. I wasn't like really learning anything. I hadn't talked to my manager in months. Uh, I didn't even, I didn't have a team. So I was just kind of sitting around like, okay, like hoping for the best. 
month six, month seven, month eight, I'm like beside myself at this point wondering how the hell am I, can I just go into a coma and wake up at one year? Like I was just trying to find what are the ways that I can get to this time. Month 10 comes around and it was one of those times where, okay, for about three or four days now, I, have, I am now not sleeping. I am in burnout mode. My brain is not functioning anymore. I knew that I just needed this feeling to end. So it's about two o'clock in the morning and I'm up on the couch and now I've just started sleeping on the couch. I don't even bother going to bed anymore. I'm sitting in front of the TV, just hoping that I can fall asleep. When I think like, you know what, tomorrow I, I have to do something. I, ha I can't wait the year. It's not going to happen. Tomorrow I'm going to just walk in, get a meeting with my manager and just let them know I'm going to give my two week notice. So I'm like, whew, decision made. Let me go back to sleep. So I'm like getting back into the couch, trying to curl up. That wasn't enough. I needed more. So I'm like, okay, let me go back. And you know how all great decisions happen around like 3 a.m. in the morning? Oh yeah, I know you all know. I decided the only way that I was gonna be able to sleep was if possibly I drafted out the email I was going to send. Because at this point I realized I don't even wanna go in. I'm done. I can't even imagine stepping foot in that building. So I was like, I will draft the email. So I draft the email and I was a little emotional. Remember, I haven't slept in a bit. So it was just like, you made a huge mistake. You, uh, I know that you think I can do things. I can't. I, everyone makes mistakes. This was on you, but I do, I am giving my notice now. I don't think like, I don't even want to walk in. So maybe we can work something out that, you know, I can slowly make my way out or, you know, I could just send you the laptop tomorrow. Either way, like this is my plan. It was a jumbled mess of awfulness. I closed it up. I'm like, I will reread the draft tomorrow before I send it. It'll be fine. Immediately, I fall asleep. Next morning, wake up, and I'm thinking, oh, you know what? Now that I've slept, maybe it's not as bad as I think it is, right? As we do. I open up the laptop to go relook at my draft to see, do I really want to send this? Go into drafts and go, it's not there. Like, where could this be? <laughs> So I, you know, the panic starts to set in. I'm like, no, I couldn't have sent it. That would be dumb. Why would I send it? It was like in the morning. Like I know how to send an email. I did not send this email. I go and check sent. Oh, there. It's right there. Go to go check my inbox. There's already, it's like six in the morning and there's already a message from my boss. And open it kind of like, oh, he's going to totally understand that this was a mistake. It was obviously in the middle of the night. Nope. The email says, okay. <laughs> Future over, career over. So here I am on the couch and you do that thing for like a minute where you're like, okay, my life is over. What have I done? And because I've always been a little bit of a overachiever, I decided that, okay, new plan. Let's figure out what your career is going to be for the next five years or else you're not going to be able to function today. So fine. I start going through, okay, what could I possibly do? And you know, digital marketing can't be it because I know it's been a long run. It's been great. I've loved it, but I've obviously hit a level where, you know, I can't, I can't do anymore. So I'm thinking, okay, let's go completely the other side. Let's, why don't I be a hairstylist? So I'm thinking about how I would be a hairstylist and I realized I would have to go back to school. And 
if I were, I imagine me telling my parents how after all the schooling that I have done, my master's and all that, I was going to go back to school to learn how to cut hair. And I immediately remembered how they would think when they realized that I have not been able to cut a straight line since I was a child. There is no way that this could be my whole job when I can't even do the first step. So, okay, off. And I started, you know, you kind of go a little crazy. So you're like thinking about anything. And I wanted to think, you know, outside of the box. So I'm thinking of, okay, maybe I could um, work at a bank for a, a bit, work my way up. And I'm like, that's, I can't do that. That's not me. None. I'm Catholic. None. Hear me out. Free housing. This might actually be a good plan. That, you know, completely, that was out. And then it just happened to be, I'm still on the couch. My dog's sitting next to me, not this one, I have another one. And I'm looking out the window and I see this woman and I'm telling you, it's one of those moments that is crystallized in my head. She's walking down the street, big smile on her face, hands out extended, just walking with pride and connected to her hands is six dogs, just walking dogs, dog walker. And I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. I'm going to love this. So immediately my brain goes into action and it's like, I'm going to be a dog walker. This is going to be great. I'll start up the Instagram account. I'll start putting up dog pics just to kind of get it going. I'm going to get the Facebook ads going. I'm going to join this group and this group, the, all the local groups. And here I am creating, of course, doing what I do, which is creating a marketing plan for this. And then I start, you know, as you do, when you think of an amazing plan, that's really not for you, you immediately go start to dive and go back to the other side where you're like, this might not be a good plan. And I'm looking out the window and I'm thinking, it is November. I'm in Canada. In about a month, I'm going to be up to here in snow. But then I'm like, Tiff, at this point, like the panic is starting to settle in. So I'm like, Tiff, it's okay. It's okay. Like every job is difficult. There is always going to be something hard. Winter is going to be your hard thing. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll just get through it. I'm starting to get the anxiety. I'm starting to not be able to breathe. I'm like, nope, it's fine. I'm looking at my dog. My dog, me, I feel like me and my dog came to the same conclusion at the same time. She's looking at me, giving me that attitude face. And I realize as the tears start streaming down my face, guys, I don't even walk my own dog. <laughs> so that, my friends, is rock bottom. And I realized at this point, while I'm sobbing into the couch, wondering what the hell I've just done to my life, that this is what I'm made to do. And now I am stuck because my self-confidence is at a zero. I feel like a complete fraud and I don't know how to take the next step. I don't know how to walk into another job and try to act like this is all normal and I'm totally okay and I'm gonna be able to actually do work. Now, imposter syndrome is a weird thing. Because it doesn't get, you don't walk, wake up one day and go, I feel like an imposter. I'm going to walk around. What a fraud I am. Oh, no, 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 no. Your self-talk is smarter than that, my friends. Your self-talk is going to tell you these little sentences that's going to eat away at your brain. So let's kind of go through some of these. And I, I want, I would love to see all your faces right now. We're going to do a little bit of an interactive thing. I would like if we're going to... I'm going to say a couple sentences. And if you've ever said this to yourself, I want you to raise one hand. Okay. You're just going to raise one hand. You're going to leave it up. And we're going to see how many of us have actually said these things to ourselves. So first one, I'm afraid people important to me may find out that I'm not as capable as I think I am. Oh, we got, we got a couple right off the bat. Whew, okay. Next, keep them up. Keep them up. 
I feel my success has been due to some kind of luck. Anyone, anyone? <laughs> we got to. My, the reason I got my position was because I was in the right place at the right time. Keep them up if you had them up before. I tend to remember the incidents in which I've done my worst more times than I've done my best. Yeah. <laughs> I am just not good enough. So everyone that's had their hand up, I want you to do me a favor. So let's like just take a moment and you can go through the different screens and see how many people are actually facing this. Uh, this isn't, this isn't a thing like more than we realize. Now keep your hand up. Like if you had your hand up before, and I would like you to put another hand up if you are a founder or owner of any kind of company, I want you to leave those two up. If you are C-level, if you are VP, if you are a director, if you are a manager, if you are a team lead. So now let's look at all these nice faces here with our hands up. Oh my gosh, people, this isn't a jazz hands moment. This is an oh my God moment. Let's look around and see. We're all in this together. Probably use those to give ourselves a nice big hug after that, but okay. We're okay now. But the thing that I don't think people realize is here we are, our double-handed people here. We are managers. Like we are managing the next generation of people. And if we are feeling this way and we're not opening up and telling other people, what are we saying to the people that we're managing? What kind of message are we sending? Are we just creating more people? And we can all assume we don't want other people that we manage to feel like us. Like it sucks feeling this way, but yeah, we're creating a system where everyone below us is feeling that way as well. So that really bothered me. And when I started looking at the research in this, um, one of the first research that was ever done on imposter syndrome, where it was actually coined was in 1970s. And at this point they kind of, ended with this assumption or their kind of um, what they came out with was that this was a woman's only thing. Imposter syndrome was just females. What they failed to mention is that they only asked females if they felt this way. Nice. Thanks. So luckily someone, the Journal of Behavioral Science in 2011 decided let's do this thing again and let's start asking people. And 70% of the U.S. population said that they had it. Two thirds of UK women, 58% of tech employees. And I have done this talk around the world from Sweden to Romania, to Slovenia, to England, to Scotland. And everywhere I go, I see that 70% number. And it's terrifying to me because so many of us think that we're alone in this. And the problem is, when we're acting like, you know, we've got it all together, here we are thinking we're a dumpster fire of a mess. When, when we look around, everyone else thinks like, oh my God, that person has it together and I don't. And especially the people that we manage, especially the people that are outside of us, our family members who are trying to, who don't know that we need help. All these people are thinking that, you know what, like they're cool, they're amazing, they've got it all together. When we don't, and what's, what is holding us back from telling each other it? So if anything, if I could tell you anything in all this, I want you to walk away saying, don't believe everything you think. Because I do believe we all have something special in us. I do believe that we all have something to give. But if we keep believing this feeling of being an imposter or fraud, we're not going to get anywhere.
So I realized at this point that I was very stuck and I needed to do something. So I went out and I looked for, I, I learned that meditation was like a really great way of kind of getting inside of your head, feeling a little bit more calmer. And so I decided I was going to learn meditation. I'm not really good. There was no apps uh, a few years ago on this. So I found a meditation coach uh, in psychology today. It was between like a therapist or that, but I decided like, okay, let's start here. And I met Sabina. Sabina is this wonderful woman from Switzerland who came down to Canada. She's a co-business coach, the whole deal. And I decided that I am going to have her help me figure it, things out. So even though we're talking about meditation, the first question she asked me, we're sitting in front of each other in this little room, uh, and she goes, Tiffany, um, I just before we start, I want you to answer one question. What do you like about yourself in one sentence? without even thinking out of my mouth, it went, there is nothing I like about myself. And as soon as it was out of my mouth, I was like, Whew, okay, there's some work here. And then she looked at me and she was just like, um-hmm, and kind of like wrote down and I was like, oh gosh, okay, maybe, maybe this is a little bit worse than I thought. So she was like, okay, before we start anything, we're gonna have to give you this first homework assignment. She goes, I want you to spend the next week writing down all the self-talk in your head. We need to see the problem. We need to be aware of what the problem is so we can start attacking it. So I had little alarms on my phone. I, every time I would go for a walk or whatever, I would just stop myself and try to figure out what I was saying to myself. And like this was, I mean, I had pages of this, but this was the top 13 things that I kept saying. And what I realized, and you're going to see number eight, I mean, I, this is TMI, obviously, like I, I'm telling you it all, but like, how are you going to imagine what, like do SEO work if you can't even like, you're thinking about how you look naked. Like, let's be real. That shit is like stuck in your brain and it's not coming out. So I was like, I have to do something about this. I have to figure out a way for this to, you know, to turn this around and being able to see it like that and see what's kind of going through my head every day on the way to the washroom, on the way uh, like to the bus, all these things, it was very, it, it was hard to read. And as I was reading them out loud to her, she was like, you believe this, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I do. So the next homework, oh, another thing that I realized too is like, I shouldn't believe it. At the end of the day, it was like my, my brain had gone on autopilot and it had just followed these same patterns that it was following over and over again. And it was diarrhea of the mind. And I needed to get this constipated a little bit. I needed to hold back because I need to find some way to get things moving in a different direction. So then she told me, okay, so I want you to get this list that you have and I want you to come up with the opposite so that if X, if you think X, then say Y. And so I spent a week memorizing that if this, then that, if this, then that. If I say that I'm ugly, I'm going to say I'm beautiful. If I say that I have nothing good to say or people don't want to listen to me, then I'm going to say I have valuable things to say. And I just started to memorize those things. And every time I was really self-aware of my thoughts, whether it was walking down the street or, you know, cleaning or doing or making food, I reminded myself to say those good things over and over and over again, because I had to retrain my mind. My mind was on a spiral. And so I kept saying it, I kept saying it, I kept saying it. 
And it was weird because two weeks in, I remember walking down the street and feeling almost euphoric. And I realized, wow, that's what it feels like when like good things are going on up there. When it's not just like doom and gloom, like my, it was like, it was changing everything. And the euphoria doesn't last forever. I wish I, I wish I could tell you this was like a thing. There is something called toxic positivity and that will get you. But this was like enough for my brain to kind of just start moving in the right direction. So I come back and I'm like, okay, Sabina, like, I like you. I like the cut of your jib. Like, let's do this again. Like, let's give me another uh, homework assignment. So she said, okay, I want you um, to figure out who your villain is. Now, I have another activity for you all. So videos on. I need you to, I'm going to ask that you um, close your eyes. I know it's tough closing your eyes on video. It's like crazy, but we're going to close our eyes together. I can see you, so please do. Um, and I want, you're gonna take three deep breaths with me and then you're gonna just wait for me to say more things. So deep breath, in, hold, out, hold, two more, in, hold, out, hold, last one, in, Hold, out, hold. So keep your eyes closed. I want you uh, to imagine that you're in, uh, on your computer, on your phone, and you're kind of going through your different social media accounts. Let's say you're on Instagram and you're looking at all the nice art and the dog videos and everything's all happy and things are going great and you're like laughing and liking and doing all those. And then out comes this one person's Instagram and it just makes you all fired up and it hurts your soul and you get all hard and your body hurts. Open your eyes. Folks, that is your villain. You need to unfollow them immediately. If you could do anything after this, unfollow. But everyone opened their eyes. So what I realized and what, I mean, Social Dilemma will teach us, the Netflix show, is that social media has this physio physiological and psychological effect on us. And one of the biggest things that it does is it forces us to constantly come in contact with these villains in our life. And I'm not saying that these are like evil villains or anything. I'm not saying this is like, you know, the drunk uncle who talks really weird stuff at Thanksgiving. No, you're probably not following him. But like, I'm talking the, the, for me, it's the people with the perfect family. <laughs> like, I don't want to see you in your perfect family and your TikTok videos, lady, with your three kids who look great. And it's like, you are doing great, but I don't need to see that. That, it, it is affecting me. It is affecting my, what I think I can do in my life. So immediately, she said, you need to find out who those people are. And if it's as easy as unfollowing them on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever, do it. Just do it. And if they, and I've had people come up to me and be like, I saw your thing and you said you unfollowed people. Then I looked and like you were unfollowed. I'm like, oh no, you know, Instagram does that all the time. It just unfollows people. It, no, you're fine. It's just, maybe it was a mistake. Fine. You can mute them now. Um, but <laughs> the other people, there are other people that you can't just unfollow. And those are the people that I found out that I had been living with for so long without creating boundaries that were affecting my mental health. And I had to either decide, am I going to leave them or am I going to have a conversation with them? And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's like your mom, 
Like I had a nice little sit down with my mom to be like, these are the new rules, mom. This is my new boundaries. Um, but then there was people that, you know, I had been friends with for years in university and I never, you know, we kind of had gone different ways and they made me feel bad about myself and I needed to have those conversations if I wanted to keep them around. And the other thing about villains too, is that sometimes you don't realize when you're a villain. And there are those certain people in your life that maybe you're a little bit competitive with, or maybe you understand that they seem to feel really uncomfortable around you. Call it out. Like, see, if you can get rid of that villain mode to someone else, think of how much you're helping them. Um, and another thing too, I had a cousin, she passed away a couple of years ago from uh, cancer. Uh, her name's Teresa. And she used to always tell me when you're walking down the street, and you see someone with something, wearing something that you like, or just that looks great, I want you to stop. And I want you to uh, tell them how you feel. Because this whole world, there's so many reasons why we go up to people and tell them how we feel in a bad way. But we never really go up to someone and tell them something good. So she would like, we'd be walking with her, and she would pass by someone, she's like, great shoes, you look great. And you know what, this moment for me, I remember I had heard that and it was during this villain mode, I was sitting in a streetcar and I saw this woman come on and I'm telling you, this woman was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And she was wearing this like long, beautiful dress. She looked like she was like needing to go somewhere and she looked a little bit like kind of crazy that she didn't know where she was going. And so, you know, I went up to, um, I saw her, I went up uh, where I was going, came back in the streetcar, and I realized she was riding the way back with me too. So she must have been lost. Um, and so I saw her asking the streetcar driver, you know, how to get here or whatever. And I saw that she must have been going to some kind of job interview or whatever. She just seemed really stressed. And so I, we walk out of the streetcar at the same stop. And I was like, you know, you have to say something. You have to say something. And so here I am kind of following behind her. She's probably like, what is this woman doing? Why does she keep staring at me? Like, and immediately you think, oh my God, is there something on my face? Like, what is going on? Like, I don't need this. And I stopped her and I'm like, hi, I just wanted to tell you, I know you seem a little stressed and you're probably going somewhere, but I just wanted to say that you look radiant today. And she stopped and she's like, excuse me? And I'm like, you just look, I just, I, you're probably going somewhere, but I just wanted to say like, kill it today. You're going to be awesome. And she stopped and we're, by this time we had crossed the streetcar and we were kind of about to go two different directions. And she just looked at me and she's like, I needed that so badly today. And I was like, I, I had a feeling. And we, she's like, thank you. I was like, you're welcome. And we went our separate ways. I don't know her. I'm never going to see her again, but look how quickly a moment can change everything, can change a whole day. And I want you to remember that not only when you have what a villain can do to you in a moment, but what you can do um, to change someone's day as well. So now that you've kind of taken out your villains, you know what your self-talk is, now it's all about building your crew. And for me, when I uh, was in that company that I, I was kind of dying inside, I had been asked to speak at my first conference. And I was sitting at this speaker's dinner. You always have a speaker's dinner the night before. And I had them, you know, they're all lined up with me. And I'm watching these people who I've been following forever and going, what in the world am I doing here? I, and they're talking about all these great things that they're doing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if they only knew. And right beside me was Joanna Weeb, Copy Hackers. And I was... I was a fangirl. I had bought all her stuff. I'm like having like heart palpitations that she's sitting next to me. I'm like, oh my God, she's the greatest person ever. And 
I turn around and she's just so nice. She like comes up to me. She's like, hi, I'm Joanna. Like, what's your name? And me, I'm not really that good at self-talk. So I went right into the deep end and went, I have a question for you. And she's like, what? And I'm like, have you ever uh, felt like a fraud? And she looked at everyone was just like, like, what are you asking her? And she looked at me, she's like, oh my God, all the time. And I'm like, really? Like, even in the setting? She's like, absolutely. And in we went in the deep end, started having this conversation about what it was like to be a woman in tech. All these other women started joining us. We started having these like real conversations about, you know, we don't know uh, what the others are making salary wise. We, know, we don't tend to share. We just had all these great conversations. And it reminded me, and I had brought it up, of this Call Your Girlfriend podcast where they had said, um, they talked about the shine theory. And it's the idea of if you don't shine, I don't shine. And so when we left this uh, week at this uh, conference, me and Joanna were like, we got to make this, we got to keep this going. How do we keep this going? And I said, and oddly enough, years later, I didn't even realize it was me that brought this up, but I said, let's create a shine crew. And so we created this Slack group. And in it, we had a bunch of women that, you know, who were in the same spot we were and who were going to be there to answer questions, talk about finances, promote our stuff, discuss problems, but like deep end problems. Like we're not going to like kind of talk our way around it. We're going to go right in the deep end with them be able to share our wins, plan live events. We still, we're all we're from all over the world, but we still find ways to see each other, uh, share work opportunities. And the idea, the, the amount that this helped me, this helped me get out of my job, this helped me start my new one, this helped me start Flojo, just having these women there that were just, they had been there. Um, I remember before, I mean, I had never thought that I would ever work for myself, but having Joanna and Angie and Talia and all these women there telling me, you can do it, you can do it. Like, this is how you're going to. And, and really talking them through it, it's been amazing. Now I've done this talk around the world and I've seen these shine crews develop. There was one that I, when I spoke in Ireland, they met there and then they showed up in Scotland to watch my talk again, to introduce me to their shine crew. I had men write me and say, you know what? I ended up creating a dad's group where we just talk about what it's like being a dad. And it's like our dad shine crew. There was one person who wrote me who said, we just started talking about SEO and things. And I told him about the shine crew and everything. He's like, shine crew, wait, I'm in a shine crew. Is that why I'm in a shine crew is because you created this thing. And so it's just been amazing to watch this idea grow. And I would say, you guys, you're all here. Uh, and you're in the same area, maybe this is the week that you find your own shine crew, because I'm telling you, it can be a life changer. So now that I had my crew behind me, I started realizing that one of the biggest barriers I had was setting expectations. Uh, I was really bad at it. I tended to just do, do, do everything. I always felt bad about my accomplishments, mostly because a lot of the times, as soon as I would hit a goal, uh, my manager knew enough to try to move it a little bit so that I, it would keep me pushing and pushing and pushing myself, not realizing what it was actually doing um, to my mental health, to burnout in general. So Angie, a friend of mine, Shelt Muller, had given me this um, approach. She said every time she met with a client, she always figured out what their gold star um, or North Star metric was and found out what would it look like to get an A, B, C, D, or F, or in this case, bad, acceptable, very good, and bonkers. I would suggest that if you work in a company to create this with your manager, because then every, every time I walk into a meeting with my clients, I already know what my grade is. And a lot of us, you know, we go through school, we're used to getting grades, we're used to knowing where we're at. This takes away that. 
So let's say even if I'm failing, let me tell you, knowing that I'm failing and having not and walking into a, a meeting and having them like waiting for them to just tell me I'm failing is probably the worst couple minutes of my life. Whereas this, I let's say I am failing. Let's say it's a worst case scenario. I walk in and say, I get it. I know where I'm at. Let's just talk about how we're going to improve this. And it's a completely different conversation because everyone's aware of what the rules are. And I think that sometimes when we manage, we try to make it, we think it's better when we're managing others to like make it a little bit vague so we can talk it out. No, 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 no. Everyone went through the school system. <laughs> we all went through this grading system. We're all grading ourselves anyway. So just put it on a piece of paper so everyone knows where we're at. And this also stops you managers from moving the carrot every time someone gets close so that they can actually, people can actually feel a win, which I think is really hard in startup uh, in startup land. This is something, this is like a managerial thing is just kind of moving the, uh, moving the carrot. And so this allows, this makes you not do that as well. But I also took this a little bit further and did this not only for work, but for play. I started looking at all the people that I had in my life and wondering where do they fall in the report card? What are they doing? Are they my ride or die people that it doesn't matter if I engage with them or not every day? I know that they're going to be there. Or are they the kind of people that, you know what, I feel like I'm doing all the work. Why do I keep doing this? What am I waiting for? And so by going through this every once in a while and seeing the people that, you know, where they fall on that, if I keep getting that bad vibe from them or seeing that they're always in that bad range, what am I doing? And it, that it requires either a conversation or it requires an unfollow in real life. So at this point, it's been years since I've been with Sabina and every week, you know, or every other week, we're kind of coming together, we're talking about stuff. And it was probably about three years in when she had said, you know, I had come in with my goals. Um, but you know, the weird thing about being in your 30s is that your goals just don't seem good enough anymore. Like, oh, I'm going to get this high. I'm going to get and you're just like, it's not giving me that feeling that high that it used to. And that's when I realized that I needed to create more of a bucket list. I needed to have not only what instead of saying I want to make this much money, what are the moments that I want to experience in career, in fun, in finance, in relationships. And so we kind of decided to change things around and create this bucket list of sorts. And let me tell you, when you have written down these moments that you want to share and you kind of, you kind of write it down, you don't really see it again. And then all of a sudden you experience it two years or two months later, you're like, oh my gosh, I just hit a bucket list moment. And it's like, it's such a cool feeling. And so she had told me to do this, but then she had asked me a really, really important question that made me, it took me two weeks to kind of know the answer to. And that is, what is your legacy? What do you want your legacy to be? And that's the thing that I was missing when I was creating these goals. I was never thinking of where it was going. I was just thinking of the next step. I was, wasn't thinking far enough ahead. And even when I created my legacy that day, I don't think I was thinking that far enough ahead. But after two weeks, I came back. And this is before I, I was ever speaking about imposter syndrome or anything, or even sharing it to the world. I had said, you know what? I, I have went through this thing. Um, and I feel like other people need to know about it. And I think that by doing that, I can make marketing a better place. I can buy, by people putting down their walls, by people sharing this kind of vulnerable moment, by people actually saying that they're experiencing imposter syndrome, maybe it will open up marketing to start bringing in more people. Maybe that's how, maybe that's the weird nugget that will bring people uh, more diversity or more inclusivity. 
because I was looking around in marketing and not necessarily liking what I saw. I was, you know, for years, I was the only woman uh, in the marketing uh, team. But, you know, and then I realized what, even when women were there, there, we were all white and what was happening? Why are we creating this space? It didn't feel right to me. So I thought maybe this is what I need to do. So, you know, I go out, I do these talks, I, I get to speak all over the world. And then I came back and it was like a couple years later and I still felt like I, I didn't hit it. There was something different because when people were coming up to me afterwards, one of the things that I realized that they were really faced with is they just want to connect. They've lost the ability to connect with each other. They've lost the ability to, you know, share moments or have those bucket list feelings. They didn't even know what they were anymore. And they had kind of lost touch because we were constantly looking at Instagram, constantly looking at what other people are doing. So we're kind of falling and doing all the things that they're doing because we think that's the right thing to do. No one's stopping to look at themselves. So I kind of let that linger and I didn't know what that meant. Uh, so I just kept doing the talks and, and things and I, I kept going back to Sabino being like, I want to help people connect. I don't know what that means. And so she gave me this item. She said, I want you to visualize. And like, self-help books from the beginning of time have always told you to visualize stuff. And I was always reading that being like, like, what does that mean? I need an end goal in order to visualize. I can't just like visualize and like hope something will come to me. That's not how I work. I need to know what I'm going towards. And I remember every time I talked to someone who was like really into this, they would go, what are you talking about? You just visualize and it'll come to you. And I'm like, both of those words don't make sense to me. So I had to try to figure out how do I visualize? What does visualization actually mean? And this is what I came up with. I started realizing that I needed to feel what, what, what I wanted to feel when I accomplished something. I wanted to feel inspired by my work. I wanted to feel motivated by what I do. And so I started to try to figure out how I could feel that feeling. And so I want, I'm going to show um, a video to all of you, um, and then I'll explain why I showed it to you. If people say your dreams are crazy, if they laugh at what you think you can do, good, stay that way. Because what non-believers fail to understand is that calling a dream crazy is not an insult. It's a compliment. Don't try to be the fastest runner in your school or the fastest in the world. Be the fastest ever. Don't picture yourself wearing OBJ's jersey. Picture OBJ wearing yours. Don't settle for homecoming queen or linebacker. Do both. Lose 120 pounds and become an Ironman after beating a brain tumor. Don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. If you're born a refugee, don't let it stop you from playing soccer for the national team at age 16. Don't become the best basketball player on the planet. Be bigger than basketball. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. When they talk about the greatest team in the history of the sport, make sure it's your team. If you have only one hand, don't just watch football. Play at the highest level. And if you're a girl from Compton, don't just become a tennis player. 
become the greatest athlete ever. Yeah, that's more like it. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough. Now, I would watch this video every day. And the reason I would do it is because of the way it made me feel. Even after a million times watching it, I feel it in my chest. I feel it in my heart. Everything about my body feels inspired and motivated by watching this. And I realized that the only way I was going to get this visualization thing is if I started to take, capture that and focus it on my own goals. How do I feel that about what I'm doing? And I started creating this kind of folder of happy things, whether it's this, whether it's uh, there's a Folgers ad of a little kid in front of a mirror saying, I love my house. I love my hair. I love everything. Like I'll share it with you in Slack. It's glorious. Uh, I had happy songs. I had all these things that gave me this like super happy feeling or inspired feeling. And I told myself that I wanted that feeling for myself into something that I do. And what that meant for me is that I started noticing then that connecting and where people weren't connecting. And I remember being on a beach, sitting there watching this couple and they were both on their phones at the beach. Um, and they didn't talk to each other for the full four and a half hours that I was there. And I remember seeing there going like, wow, like either they talk to each other a lot more outside or this is just a daily thing that they do. And so I started writing all the things that I want, I wanted them to do <laughs> instead. And out came the couple's bucket list. And I started to kind of, I thought, and I, I you know how you're supposed to do all this testing and everything. I just decided that I was just going to throw it out there and just, you know, see what happens. So I created this product. And then I realized that, you know, couples, it was great for couples, but I also wanted to help all the people like me who were kind of stuck in this burnout phase and uh, kind of stuck not taking care of themselves. Um, and so this came out last year, kind of like in good timing for 2020, but then I created the self-care bucket list. So again, like a hundred activities that people can do inside. And what was amazing about that is I put it out in the world, it started to sell, and then I started getting all these Instagram posts back of people actually doing it in their daily lives, them going out and getting produce, them putting, creating some DIY project together. Um, this a woman who like does a happy dance every day when she gets up in the morning, all these amazing stories started to come back from it. And then I thought after doing this for a while, what if I created my own video that I can look and know that I accomplished it? So then I created this. In today's world, we seem to have more of a relationship with our phones than with each other. We've taken the chill out of Netflix and chill, and selfies have replaced real memories. But what if we changed all that? What if we made a point to slow things down and learn how to play again? and made new memories with the person we fell in love with before the kids and work got crazy and life got in the way. Instead, let's make a pact to just let loose in more ways than one. Don't miss a moment.
about visualization is you never know where it's going to end up. And now I'm a firm believer in visualization, but hopefully my hack can help you figure out how you can put your legacy in action as well. And so here were all these tips. And if you're feeling like you're stuck in this moment, I want you to kind of go through and see if there's any of these items that could help you. Now, four years after I was speaking to Sabina and I was kind of going through and telling her all about my day and she goes, you know what? I want to stop you for a sec. I want to ask you one question. And uh, I want you to describe in one sentence how you feel about yourself. And without even thinking, I splurred out, I don't know, I like me. And that's when we both went. And we, all those years of all the work I had just done had finally come back and I realized, wow, I might actually have gotten through this. And what I want to say for you is that if this sentence doesn't hit you right now, it doesn't feel like you're there, then I would like you to either reach out to me, reach out to someone who, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a coach, whether it's anyone, and start figuring out what is my first step to get there. Uh, I'm happy to, happy to be there if you want to share stories or even in Slack with everyone else, finding those people who you can create your own shine crew with. So I hope that you took something out of my embarrassing life moments and that uh, you're able to kind of overcome your imposter syndrome. Now you know that someone else feels it too. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? <laughs> <laughs> I know this is why it's always before lunch so people can just be like I need a moment <laughs> oh dear thank you thank you um do, any any comments any any questions anyone got to uh, crying a little yeah <laughs> um a little yeah who wants to who wants to say no it's tough you always ask me yeah. like are you sure you're going to be ready for a Q&A or maybe there's I'm like I feel like no one no one could really speak after this <laughs> it's kind of a little mind melding I understand yeah um so there were I mean I did have a, a few questions that kind of came in pre um pre-event and there were some people that again were asking some interesting stuff around um I really wanted to kind of draw on some of your experience as a marketeer and how you have changed the way that you're doing things and how the world that we're living in in the moment which I think is a bit more emotional people are a bit more raw I read a really interesting um, little thread on Twitter yesterday about people kind of going through the six-month block and just kind of talking about that being a real thing and how you navigate it and how um, you come out of it now good news is you will come out of it. Um, one thing I wanted to add to with great. remote work uh, happening right now, uh, one of the biggest things that I've noticed, just I've been speaking with companies a lot more uh, during this time than any other time, um, and the lack of connection uh, that people are facing, the everyday seeing each other and things, have made people a little bit more disconnected to what people are doing day to day. So when someone who may be at home with kids sees someone else having wins, um, they're starting to feel like, oh my gosh, I don't have time. I don't, I can't even think straight and I can't come up with a win. So I think for all of the people who are uh, those managers, those double-handed managers out there who are have 
groups of remote work. I think it's time to have this conversation about, you know, how you're really doing imposter syndrome, kind of really talking about it because um, remote work is so hard and that connection um, is, is breaking and uh, people are starting to blame themselves and they're starting to kind of go inside themselves rather than sharing with their managers because they don't want to get fired. They're scared to get fired. They're scared to be let go. Um, and so creating an open environment where people can just talk without any anything that could that bad could happen to them is yeah. really important, I think. Don't forget, you can get regular updates from Business of Software via the newsletter. Sign up for free at businessofsoftware.org slash updates. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.